Thank the worship team for leading us well this morning. This is what I look like with a suit coat on. Elaine said, aren't you going to add a tie? And I said, no. What are they going to do, fire me? Uh, Thank you for all your patience with this guy over the last year and a half. And we're looking forward, talk a little bit more about it later, but we've been working for this day night and day for over 18 months. And I am so excited for what God may be doing today. No, what God is doing today. And uh, couldn't be more excited. Well, let uh, me add for Elaine and me, congratulations to you students. Let's one more time on the college graduates too. I have a perfect message for you guys and gals. Probably more for your parents than you. And it's, it's this. I'm counting on the fact, and you parents need to be counting on the fact, that as we send them out into the world with all the gifts that they got that they didn't deserve on graduation time, but all the gifts they got, there's a radical gift that God has given. A gift so radical that we have full confidence that as you walk out into next steps in this Uh, life that God's given you the privilege of being a steward of, as you walk out in these next steps, you don't walk out alone, even though parents won't always be with you from this step forward. You walk out with the very presence of God within you. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. It not only is relevant to college graduates, we have a Dear gal was very faithful here at church. Her brother was just moved to Butterworth. She's down there with him this morning, and he may have a few hours or a few days left. Janice Snyder and her brother are together in those his last hours, and I encourage you to pray for him. They need to know they are not alone. Um... You were getting ready at the end of this service to cast a vote. And in case I forget to say it later, I want to remind you, church family, that uh, it's not you and I who call. By the way, I don't get a vote, but I'm voting no. If you believe that, then I have a bridge in Arizona over the ocean to sell you. It is not you, it's not me that calls. It is God who does that. And I hope that takes some weight off of your shoulders, though your vote today is not insignificant or unimportant. From a human perspective, nonetheless, you want to be on God's side. You want to be what God, uh, be involved in what God is involved in, right? And it's God who does the calling and who does the placing. And I can prove that to you from the book of Revelation. And that just calms my heart. And I hope it calms yours to know that in the end, whatever the outcome, God's the one large and in charge, placing his servants 
where he wills and when he pleases. God's doing it. What about my role? Not insignificant or unimportant, you might ask. This message is for you today who are questioning, what's my vote? What should it be? You have one living in you. You were not alone making that vote. And I'm so glad we are not doing a political thing today, aren't you? Let's not take a poll and then decide how to vote. It's not a politics or politician's approach based on polls. It's based on that spirit who lives within me who promises to be my guide. And you and I are not alone through these pivotal moments and decisions of church life. I'm so glad my Lord and my Savior and His Father, the one with whom He is equal, so much so that what the Father does, the Son does. So I can say today, the Son is a radical giver. Just like the Father. And in John, the 16th chapter and the 13th verse, we're just going to look at one verse because I know you want to get at the vote, so I'll do my best to get through this quickly. You pray for me that I get that done, will you? Church, I could have started, and I could only pick one verse because if I read the context and text, I would have to read four chapters to you today. Because John 14, John 15, John 16, and John 17 all talk to us about the radical gift that God gives that Jesus asked the Father to give to us, namely the Holy Spirit of God. Now, can somebody say thank you, Larry, for not reading all four chapters? Yeah. Before I read the one verse I want you to see today, could I just say this? God has given so many radically wonderful gifts to us. The most blessed of all gifts, the greatest of his blessings and gifts, is eternal life that God gives to all who will believe. I hope by the end of this service, if you've never received him as your Savior and received that gift, you'll receive it today. It would be the most blessed thing that has happened in this service today if you would do that. He not only gives eternal life, I want to focus on the fact with you that he gives his spirit. And it's found in the uh, 16th chapter and the 13th verse, when he, the spirit of truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Jesus prayed that the Father would give the Spirit, and the Father gave the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus in this verse is saying to his disciples, when he comes, he had no doubt 
the father would answer his prayer and the two together would agree to give the Holy Spirit of God to indwell every believer, to guide, to comfort, to encourage, to help, to correct, to convict and convince of truth. And all that he does for us, he has promised to give him. Now, I wanted to say this before we break this verse and really these four chapters down in a brief way. I wanted to say this is a theocentric anthropology kind of verse. So like, does that impress you? Okay. I just want you to know I'm ordained too. Just like Tim and Dennis. I know those big words. Let me explain them to you. Theocentric seeing is, uh, is a word that describes God as at the center of what's happening in these four chapters. And anthropology is a study of man and what it's saying and what uh, is shouted out loudly and clearly in these four chapters is this great concept that God is wanting to interact with man. And specifically, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is very deeply concerned about the 11 men he's getting ready to leave. And he doesn't want to leave them or, like the graduates, send them out without help. And that's what all this text and context is about. Now let's break it apart together this way. It backs up to the first verse of the 16th chapter. It's where I want you to begin with me and it, it's this great concept. I have said these things to you. Who is I there, class? Yeah, you didn't know for sure, did you? Who is it? Jesus. I, Jesus, have said these things to you. Who are the you? The 11 disciples. Remember, one is already abandoned. So there are 11 disciples to whom Jesus is talking, and it's, he says... I have said these things to you, my disciples, to keep you, my disciples, from what class? It's on the screen. How critical is that? Jesus said, I have told you what I just told you to keep you from falling away. What have you just told them? It backs up to the 14th chapter. I'm going to the Father. Don't let your heart be troubled about that. He goes on to say, when I go, I will give you, and we'll talk about it more in a little bit, the comforter, the Spirit of God who will come and help you. And I told you that so that you will not fall away. That word is apostasis, which means to depart from, to move away from to fall away from. And I put it up there in a different version because it's the correct um, definition of that word apostasis, which is to fall away or depart from the truth. Now listen very carefully. Jesus knows that in a few short months and years, all 11 of the men that he is talking to will be martyred, killed, 
for their faith in Christ. Is that critical or what? Jesus knew that was coming. They're going to die. I said all 11, there's some debate about whether one did or not. But the truth is all 11 history pretty much supports died either by being burned, having their head cut off, their being thrust through with the sword or some other horrible means of death. You are going to die. And I don't want you before that time to fall away from the truth. Now, here's what I want you to get, and it's so critical. The greatest danger Christ saw for his followers was not the fact that they faced death. Death was not their greatest danger. Pause before I emphasize the rest of it. Class, Christ already knew what would happen after death, right? He knew he himself would come from the grave. Therefore, I am not so much concerned about the awful truth that you will die. I am more concerned about a greater danger. And what is the greater danger? Apostasy. Falling away. Falling away in your life. Not in the death moment, but in your life. Falling away from the truth. What comes to my mind is a misunderstanding of this great concept and this great passion of Christ for his people that they not fall away from the truth. There's so much of a misconcept out there in the American church. You know, I've heard messages over the years pulled out of the Old Testament passages that say, don't move the boundaries or the markers, the rocks that mark the territory where the um, landowner's boundary line is. It was simply marked in the Old Testament with rocks, and you could take those rocks and move them over and expand your own boundary line. And I've heard people use that to say, hold on to all the traditions that we've loved all these years. They are what is important. All in the world, that Old Testament concept meant was, don't steal from your brother. Are you here? He's not in the thievery. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. That's all it means. It doesn't mean what so many of the sermons I've heard over the years mean. I remember in the early 90s, one of the churches where Elaine and I served, we were the first to start using some screens back 25 years ago to start, start using some screens in the area, and we were accused of falling away from the truth, of apostasy, because we used screens to worship together from, read words from. I remember one guy saying, I feel like every time that screen comes down, I need a bag of popcorn. And the pronouncement and judgment was, What compromise, what moving of the boundaries, what falling away from truth, because we did it differently.
Jesus didn't have a width of that in mind. My beloved in the American church in battle over programmatic stuff needs to hear that time and time and time again. Amen? Oh, that was weak. Amen? The church needs to hear, we got to hang on to the gospel. Well, there was a good place for a yo. We must hang on to the truth that redeems the lives of men and not fall away from that truth. For that, my beloved, is what causes souls in eternity to be separated from God. The church not telling the truth. Falling away from it. Make sure what you're passionate about is hanging on to the truth, not tradition. One more time. Yo. It moves from that fear of Christ about apostasy for his disciples to this statement. They will put you out of the synagogues. Whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now watch this. The most effective opponent Christ followers face is not outsiders, but, say it, inside the church those in the synagogue will think they're doing God a service when they kill you that's what it says or when they put you out of the synagogue for the truth that you hold on to and again the most effective opponent is not outside it's on the inside don't you think Satan knows that he really really does my beloved hang on to this Jesus talked much about wolves in sheep's clothing. What does that analogy suggest to you? They look like insiders when in heart they are outsiders. And this theocentric anthropology, this Lord God is so passionate for the men who were following him that he says, look out, watch out for those who will creep in and try to pull the church away from the truth. And they're self-deceived, thinking they are doing God's service. Where was Jesus' greatest opponent? Wasn't one of the twelve the inner circle, one of them, a great opponent to what he was doing. He betrayed him and turned him in. His name? I'm trying to see if you're awake today. His name? Judas. Did not John have an opponent within the church called Diotrephes? Did not Moses have one within the camp called Korah? Did not Nehemiah have one within the ranks of the children of Israel called Tobiah? Are there not always within the ranks of the people of God those who pull away, who cause others to pull away from truth? Last week's staff meeting, thinking that 
our ministry may well be winding down. I shared with the pastors, guys, and the rest of the staff was there as well, guys and gals, watch out. For Christ said, when I am gone, will there not be those who creep in? And people will be unaware. Learn to be discerning. Now don't leave it there. The text flows on in the fourth verse in this same chapter. And when Jesus adds, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. What? What's he saying here? He's saying to his disciples, guys, in case you're wondering why it is that I didn't tell you this from the beginning, it's because I was there. I was there to keep you from falling away and to keep you from being deceived by others who would lead you away. I was present with you. That's why I didn't need to talk about it with you. But he just said in chapter 14, but I'm going away. So now I'm talking about it because I'm leaving you. What's at the heart of that? If you've never seen this before, hang on to this, please. The most effective deterrent to falling away is what? It's the presence of deity. The presence of God. The presence of Christ. Live in, commune with the very presence of God. And you shall be preserved from falling away. Yo. Great challenge. Christ knew that. So it's no small thing when he says to them, guys, I'm leaving you. What on earth are you going to do? What are we going to do? That was their question. And he said, guys, I haven't talked to you about it before, but now I'm going to talk to you about it. You don't have to be afraid. Because in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, and I know he's coming because I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And the word comforter is not the correct word there. It's parakletos that in some places is pronounced or is translated comforter. But it really means one who does a whole lot more than comforts. One who in every area like I, Christ, have helped you, my disciples. One who in every area helps you like I helped you. That one is coming. He's just as much God as I am. He's just as powerful as I am. He is just as present as I am. And he will be in you, personally relating to you every day of your life. He will keep you from falling away from the truth. And by the way, I'll emphasize it a little more in a minute, but he is the Spirit of truth. So what will he use to keep me from falling away? He will use the truth. Do you get why I say this is such a radical gift from such a radical giver? 
Jesus Christ, God among us, is gone. But he's given us a gift just like himself that will help us more, including, but more than, be a comforter when my heart is broken. He will be a guide, a convictor, a counselor, a sealer, and a baptizer, and all that the Word says He will do for us. He will help us in every way, for He is God living within us. Your turn. You didn't think I could do it this quickly, did you? So, the radical gift, the Spirit of God, guides you with the truth. Look at verse 13 again. He will guide you into all truth. I was like some of the high school graduates when I graduated the first time from college. I had to stand in front of 4,000 people at BBC and say, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to do next. And you know what I've found out in life since then? It's still a present question. It remains there. I live in a finite world, and I still every day have to ask the question, What's my next step? What do I do now? You ought to try pastoring you. Do you know what question that leaves? What do I do next with these dear people, these dear individuals, flock members of God's flock, sheep in God's flock? What do I do next? And never, when I opened the pages of the Word of God, not one time has the Spirit of God ever failed to say, Here is what's next. And I tell you that not because I have some answers, I have none. But I know who's the spirit of truth who has the answers. And he's never failed me. He will not fail you. What are you going to do next? Today, in a few minutes, at the end. I'm going to give you a brief challenge just before the business session, but let me give you a heads up. If you do anything Besides, go to the truth, the Word of God, for your next step and answer. Please, 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 don't vote. Amen, Larry. And that is not trying to tell anybody how to vote. 
vote yes or no based on the right thing. The right thing. The truth. How do I know the truth? Because you've got the Holy Spirit living within you. This radical gift helps you focus on Jesus because he says, before the gift comes, he will glorify who? Me. Who is me talking in that verse? Class? Christ. It's Jesus. When he comes, he will glorify me. And this is where the greatest confusion about the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes from. It's pretty immense. He is not the spirit of feelings. He's the spirit of truth who guides you to Christ and reveals the Lord Jesus. And when people walk out of a lesson or a message or a service or a worship experience and say, what a spirit! There's one thing I know. The Spirit of God was not his or her guide that day and that moment. Why? Because he will not glorify himself. The text says when he is at work, Jesus makes it clear. When he comes, he will glorify me. So when you walk out and say, what a Savior or what a truth about Christ and about God the Father and God the Son, then I know the Spirit has been at work in your life and mine. Oh, what a Savior. And my friend, if you've never listened to the voice of the Spirit of God telling the truth about Jesus Christ, I would like at this moment to create a holy moment for you. You might want to breathe something like this to the Father. Father, my life is so complex. I'm often so confused. I don't know what to do next. Give me a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, your Son. Receive eternal life. I will receive it, Father, today because I believe Christ died for me. And then add this prayer. And thank you for not only giving me eternal life, but for at the same time giving the spirit of truth to be present with me from here on. If you breathe that prayer, I'd love to know that. So would the church family, wouldn't you? We'd love to know you accepted Christ and received that spirit of truth to help you in life today. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing just a brief song. And as we do, the deacons, one final time here, are going to be coming and they're some of them, their wives with them, and praying for the next servant leader and asking for wisdom today for you as a church body as you vote shortly on the next servant leader of this assembly. Some of you may want to join them today. You haven't been doing it uh, maybe as much, and you've wanted to. This is your time to do that. And I'd invite many from the church body to come and join them. 
And at the closing of the song, I will pray for us and over us all that God will be our guide. The Spirit will guide us in truth. And my friend, if you today have just accepted Christ as Savior, would you please come as well? And uh, I'll meet you down in front, or someone will meet you there, and I encourage you to let us know today you accepted the Lord Jesus in the presence of God with you. Would you come as well?